You're listening to the Dibbly Dobbly Podcast. Remember to like, share, comment, subscribe, and click the bell to make sure you get the latest episodes of the podcast. Be sure to like and share our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Dibbly Dobbly Podcast. And on today's episode of the podcast, we are going to be reviewing the fourth Ashes Test from Old Trafford. And uh, there's been a lot of talking points about this uh, fourth test uh, from Old Trafford. Obviously the rain helping Australia to save the game and to retain the Ashes. Which, at the end of the day, is a little bit of a disappointing sort of thing because this series was shaping up to be a great series. And if England would have won this fourth test, which they were on track to do so, it would have been an exciting last test match at the Oval this Thursday uh, to set up the series nicely at 2-2. Unfortunately, the weather intervened, and that's just the way it is in cricket. It's always been based on the elements, and unfortunately, the weather had its final say. And for Australia, they got out of jail, and uh, the rain was their saviour and saved their bacon. But um, on this episode of the podcast today, we're just pretty much going to talk about the fourth Ashes Test from Old Trafford, review it, how both teams performed, and preview what's going to happen in the final test at the Oval for this Ashes series, as we come closer and closer to the end of this long Ashes series, which has been going on for an eternity now, since we started in the first test match at Edge Bastion um, in late June. So it's been a very long series, but plenty to talk about on uh, today's episode of the Dibbly Dobbly podcast. But before we do that, let's have a look at the match summary from the fourth Ashes Test between England and Australia from Old Trafford. And Australia batted first and made 317 all-out in their first innings. Uh, Mitchell Marsh and Marnus Labuschagne top-scored with 51 each. Uh, Chris Wilkes took five wickets for England. England, in reply in their first innings, were all-out for 592. Sack Crawley top-scored with 189. Josh Hazelwood took five wickets for Australia. And Australia, in their second innings, finished on five for 214. Marta Slavishane top scoring with 111. And Mark Wood took three wickets for England. Sack Crawley was named the player of the match for his 189. And that was the match summary. And that's how the match panned out from the fourth Ashes test here at Old Trafford. What were the key moments and key factors from this fourth Ashes test between England and Australia? Well, England bowling out Australia for 317 in the first innings was a key moment and a key factor that enabled um, England uh, to keep Australia at bay and keep them well under 400. Uh, Sack Crawley's innings of 189 helping England score 592 in their first innings was a key uh, moment and a key factor for England in terms of them trying to set up the match and trying to put Australia under pressure. Um, Marnus Labuschagne and Mitchell Marsh's partnership of 103 for the fifth wicket in Australia's second innings, which helped Australia to safety and secure a draw along with the weather as well. Um, Obviously, Labuschagne and Marsh had to bat around about 30 overs on day four when we came back out to play on day four. Um, Up until Labuschagne got out towards the end of that 30-over period, But pretty much that partnership pretty much helped Australia uh, in this test match to get over the line and get a draw. 
Um, the biggest factor was the rain, which ultimately sealed the fate of the test match. And those were the key moments and key factors from this uh, fourth Ashes test between England and Australia from Old Trafford. Let's talk about how both England and Australia performed in this fourth Ashes test at Old Trafford. Um, let's talk about their performances with both bat and ball and, and how both teams approached this fourth Ashes test from Old Trafford. Uh, so let's start with England, talk about their performance and talk about how their batters uh, performed and went about things in this fourth Ashes test from Old Trafford. Uh, Crawley, 189, Duckett, 1, Alley, 54, Root, 84, Brook, 61, Stokes, 51, and Bearstrow, 99, not out. That's how the England batters uh, performed and went about things in this fourth Ashes test from Old Trafford. Um, let's talk about their first innings, England. Obviously, they batted once in this test match, um, given the weather, and, and obviously it was very unlikely that England were going to probably bat again in this test match. Um, so let's talk about their innings. It was a pretty destructive innings. From England, scoring 592 runs in their first innings at a run rate of 5.49 from 107.4 overs, which really uh, showed uh, their new way of playing Test cricket. Obviously, with Basball, uh, really putting the Australian bowlers under pressure immensely, which saw them gain a first innings lead of 275 runs after the they bowled England. Uh, sorry, after England bowled Australia out for 317. It was a very handy first innings lead and put them in the box seat. Uh, Sack Crawley's innings of 189 was important, uh, really set the tone for England, um, and led the way for England with the bat as well. Uh, key partnerships of 121 for the second wicket, Crawley and Alley, 206 for the third wicket, uh, Crawley and Root, 86 for the fifth wicket, Brook and Stokes, and the uh, tenth wicket partnership of 66 between Bearstra and Anderson were all key contributions to England scoring 592 runs in their first innings. So that's how England went about their batting in the first innings of this Test match. Um, it was probably England's best batting performance of the series um, to date. Uh, they basballed Australia in a big way. Um, and it was really the first time in this series that we saw England really dominate Australia with basball and playing this aggressive, positive brand of cricket. It was the first time in the series that we saw them actually put it on full gas, you know, really put the foot down. And they put the foot down in a big way on the accelerator um, here at Old Trafford. Uh, Sack Crawley, as I mentioned, his innings of 189 was key. Um, he, he batted well. He played some good shots. Um, and, and I think for Sack Crawley... Um, this, this is probably the best innings he's played in his career. He mentioned that after his innings, he said it's probably the best innings I've played. Obviously, he scored the 267 against Pakistan in 2020 um, in England uh, during that tour that Pakistan had to England, um, obviously behind closed doors. Um, that was a pretty good innings, but this innings here um, at Old Trafford was probably better than that. Um, as we know with Sack Crawley, he has the ability to bat like this. Um, we know he's got the talent, but I think the one thing that England fans are frustrated about Sack Crawley, and that's why Sack Crawley gets talked about often, is because of his inconsistency uh, as a player. Um, and people are saying he should be dropped, and obviously under the Stokes and McCullum regime, that they're backing him immensely. They've spoken 
a lot about Sack Crawley. They've defended Sack Crawley because, especially Brendan McCullum, has defended Sack Crawley a lot because Brendan McCullum has said that Sack Crawley reminds me, reminds um, Brendan McCullum of him when he was a player. Um, so Sack Crawley and Brendan McCullum are very similar. Um, very dangerous players once they get going. Very inconsistent at the same time. So, you know, with that backing, Sack Crawley's got that confidence to go out and play these innings. Obviously, he's not going to do this all the time. He, he'll do it every now and again, but when he does, it's, it's very explosive, it's very good. Um, and he was helped out with a lot of poor bowling from Australia. Australia bowled to his strength. They bowled too straight on his pads, and he was able to work them onto the leg side. Um, they didn't bowl enough outside off stump because he does have a bit of vulnerability there, Sack Crawley. But for Sack Crawley, it was a it was an incredible innings. You've got to give him credit that. You've got to give credit to him for the innings he played. And it just, in a way, it sort of, sort of really affirms, reaffirms to probably the England cricket fans and maybe to the England cricket team that the brand of cricket that we're playing, this is the outcome of it in, in, in the way that Sack Crawley bats it. So it was a pretty good innings from him, really set the tone for England, really, in the absolutely shell, um, shellacking that England gave Australia in this, um, in this uh, test match. Um, Joe Root batted well. He made 84. Um, key partnership with Sack Crawley of 206. Joe Root on track for another century, but a very good delivery from Josh Hazelwood that um, kept low um, from the James Anderson end. And we've seen in, in the test match, a few deliveries from that end kept low. And um, the Joe Root dismissal, where Josh Hazelwood got him out, a ball that kept low and, and clean bowled him, it reminded me of Joe Root's dismissal in the 2021-22 Ashes series in Australia, where in Hobart, Scott Boland bowled to Joe Root, and Joe Root got out to a similar way as he did to Josh Hazelwood, as he did with um, Scott Boland to a delivery that kept low and knocked over his off stump on that occasion. So I, I just found that comparison uh, and and that took me back to that. Very two similar dismissals that Joe Root got um, in Hobart to Scott Boland, that one that kept low and clean bowled him. Um, and obviously the one that Hazelwood got in this test match here that kept low as well. So two very similar dismissals that I noted there. Very hard playing um, as a batter on a pitch that's keeping a little bit low, uneven bounce. It's very hard to uh, judge the bounce. And is it going to keep low? Is it going to bounce high um, and bounce sharply? But I thought Joe Root looked comfortable again. You know, he's a class player, as we know. Um, he better well. Um, Harry Brook and Ben Stokes better well. Both of them made 50s. Um, Harry Brook has got confidence after the match-winning performance in uh, Headingley um, in the third test. Uh, ben Stokes going about his merry way as captain. He's had a pretty good series with the bat, even though he's not making contributions with the ball. Um, and Johnny Bairstrow, um, obviously being in the in the news, um, in the media, or obviously what happened at Lords, obviously his form, coming back from injury, um, dropping catches as a keeper. He had a pretty good test match, to be fair. Um, I know a lot of people will give him flack and stick about his keeping and his batting in this series, but... I thought he had a pretty pretty good game in this uh, fourth test. He he caught well, 
uh, which is a rarity from Bairstow in this series. He's dropped a few key moments, key chances that really cost England dearly in the first two test matches. And a lot of people have been making those observations. Now England can't win the Ashes now. Of course, you're going to pick up on these things. Um, 99 not out. He batted well with James Anderson. That partnership of 66, another important partnership for England. Um, but for Bairstow, maybe a point to prove uh, about all the criticism that's come his way. So he batted, batted well. He had a pretty good game. He took a very good catch, one-head catch, um, in, in Australia's first innings, I think it was when Mitchell Marsh got out, I think, uh, to Chris Wokes, I think it was. That was a pretty good catch uh, that he took. Um, so he had an okay game. And um, yeah, England's England's batting was, was pretty good in this test match. I think the one thing that people will question about, and, and I've noticed this after the test match is finished, the reactions come in from fans and fans pick up little things that England could have done better and probably cost them the ashes, is probably Ben Stokes' decision not to declare. Um, personally, I don't think that would have made any difference anyway. I could understand why Ben Stokes batted the way he did. He wanted to bat on because he wanted more runs. The more runs you have, it will slowly diminish the chances of, of Australia making England bat again and putting Australia under immense pressure. If, if you can put on more runs, which they did, 275 run lead, that's a pretty imposing lead, nearly 300. Australia ain't going to make England bat again. So the aim of Ben Stokes there was to get as many runs as he could to ensure that England didn't have to bat again if, if that was the case. And I know a lot of people will pick up on that and say, oh, you know, that, that took time out of the bowling time that England needed to get Australia out because of the weather. But anyway, the weather was going to be bad for day four and day five anyway. So we can look at this in hindsight, and, and it didn't really make any difference whatsoever. Um, but a lot of people will pick up on that. And uh, they will say, you know, it, it could have been um, it, it could have been a lot different if he declared earlier rather than batting on. But anyway, these things happen, and you look at these things in hindsight. But just to finish off about England's batting... Um, pretty good batting performance, probably the best of the series, very dominant, and obviously a lot of confidence for England going forward into the last test at the Oval is that they can absolutely put Australia under pressure yet again with Basball. Let's talk about England's bowlers and their performance in this fourth Ashes test from Old Trafford. Um, a wicket each for Ali and Root, uh, six wickets for Wokes, four wickets for Wood, two wickets for Broad, and a wicket for Anderson. And that's how they performed in this fourth Ashes Test, the England bowlers. Um, let's talk about how they performed across the two innings. The first innings, um, they won the toss, chose to bowl first in the game that England had to win. They wanted to bowl first, which is an aggressive mindset. Obviously, the stat um, coming into this Test match when England did decide to bowl first is that no team, no captain at Old Trafford has ever won a Test match winning the toss and bowling first. So, but that's just the way Ben Stokes is. He's that sort of character. He's going to do things that are going to be a little bit um, outside of the box when it comes to the conventions and methods in Test cricket. Um, it was an aggressive approach. Given the weather around, they had to bowl first. That was their best chance of winning the, the Test match. They bowled Australia out for 317. 
which was a good result. Under 400 is good when you bowl a side out in the first innings. That that, that was a big tick there for England. Uh, Chris Works led the way with, with the ball for England, taking five for 62. In the second innings, they had a lead of 275 runs, which put Australia under immense pressure, put England in the box seat, had a limited opportunity to bowl Australia out due to the rain. And on day four, the only bit of cricket that we had over day four and day five, it was a 30-over window, but they only took one wicket, Joe Root getting rid of Manus Labuschagne after Labuschagne brought up his century. The weather and time wasn't on England's side, and they weren't able to take the last five wickets to wrap up the match. Therefore, uh, the game was a draw. So England's England's bowling across the two innings was um, was okay. Um, another good bowling performance from England again. Um, they bowled good lines and lengths, built pressure well, took wickets at regular intervals. Uh, Chris Wilkes, as I mentioned, bowled really well again. Since he's come into the side, um, him and Mark Wood have have really made a difference to this England bowling unit. It's given them um, something different, and it's given them an element of potency that the England bowling attack didn't have in the first two test matches of the series. Um, Chris Wilkes bowled well, taking five wickets. Um, Mark Wood bowled well again, good pace, took a few wickets. James Anderson was, was ineffective again. He looked a little bit sluggish, Anderson. Not quite at his best in this series, um, Stuart Broad, um, he's been good in this series thus far, Stuart Broad, obviously picking up wicket number 600, obviously Travis Head was victim number 600 for Stuart Broad, uh, but he wasn't at his best with the ball in this test match either, Stuart Broad, he looked a little bit scratchy after the long break, um, he's played four test matches on the bounce, obviously you take a bit of a break, the third test and the fourth test were probably a nine day break, so it takes a little bit of time to get back into the swing of things and rhythm. I think Stuart Broad was just going through that. Didn't really have a great, a great game with the ball. Mo and Ali bowled okay, but in the second innings he bowled some loose deliveries. Maybe that finger's starting to give him some problems again. Uh, the skin probably just getting ripped up when he's spinning the ball. The blister. Um, he didn't bowl some great deliveries either in, in the second innings. Uh, he, he batted okay. Um, he made a contribution there, getting a half century, but um, the the bowling side of things was was a little bit poor from him um, in this um, in this bowling performance. Um, so yeah, a, a, a pretty good bowling performance again from England. But I thought for England, um, knowing that the weather was around and they had to make hay when the sun was shining, as they say. But in this case, it was a bit dark and gloomy at Manchester. But I thought on day four, where we didn't really expect to get any cricket at all, many people said day four is a washout, same with day five. Obviously, day five was a washout. Day four wasn't. We got a, we got a window in of 30 overs. And I think England looked a little bit flat on day four. That was their opportunity where they could have won the test match in that 30-over period. Obviously, 30 overs is a very long time. It's a session. Um... And given the weather around, I, I thought they looked a little bit flat. They looked a little bit down. Um, there was no zip. There was no energy. And Marnus Labuschagne and Mitchell Marsh batted well in that period. They added 100 runs in that partnership. Australia scored runs. The ball wasn't doing much for England. It was a little bit, you know, pretty much, um, you know, not doing much at all. Um, 
I think that has a little bit to do with the conditions. If it's too wet and the ball gets wet on the outfield, the ball doesn't swing as much. And, and that had a role to play as well. That's why it looked a little bit innocuous. Um, that's why it looked a little bit innocuous. They looked a little bit flat. Maybe the weather on day five was probably in the back of their minds and they probably said, you know what, this is probably the only opportunity we're going to get to take, to, to take the wickets. And that proved to be the case. Uh, they, they picked up one wicket, obviously, Joe Root getting rid of Marta Slabashane, which gave them hope. Um, obviously, uh, the umpires said, you can't bowl your quicks, you have to bowl your spinners. Ben Stokes wasn't happy about that. They got the ball change, the, the new ball, uh, the replacement ball, I should say. They, they got that change because the old ball wasn't doing much. Marta Slabashane ruffled a few feathers when he asked, uh, you know, to... to to have a look at the ball. Uh, ben Stokes wasn't happy about that, according to Marnus in his press conference. Um, so yeah, it just looked a little bit flat, England. And maybe they knew that the weather, obviously, was going to be bad on day five, and that's what happened. So yeah, um, their bowling performance over the last three test matches, including this one here at Old Trafford, have been good. As I mentioned with Wokes and... and um, Mark Wood coming in. It's it's definitely added a lot more to their bowling. But, um, yeah, they will rue that opportunity, England, with that 30-over window. They could have done some more damage, and they were a little bit flat. But the weather wasn't on their side, and, and that's just the way it is. So to finish up about England's uh, bowling performance, it was good again in the first innings. The second innings was good up until that 30-over window. The weather didn't really help them. They looked a little bit flat. They could have done some more damage, but... Oh, well, the, these are the things that you look in hindsight. But but overall, generally, it was another good bowling performance by England in this fourth Ashes test from Old Trafford. Let's talk about Australia's performance in the fourth Ashes test here from Old Trafford, how they went about things with bat and ball. Uh, let's uh, talk about the batters and how they performed for Australia in this fourth Ashes test. Uh, Warner, 32-28. and 28. Kawaja, 3-18. Labashane, 51-111. and 111. Smith 41 and 17, Head 48 and 1, uh, Mitchell Marsh 51 and 31 not out, and Green uh, 16 and 3 not out, and Carey 20. And that's how the Australian batters went about things in this four fascist test from Old Trafford. Um, let's talk about their performance across the two innings. The first innings, they were bowled out for 317. They didn't make use of the batter-friendly conditions. It was pretty a flat pitch. Um... They lost the toss, England won the toss, put them in. 317, not a good score. That's not going to win you too many test matches. And from that moment on, Australia were on the back foot. Uh, Australia needed a, a score of 450 minimum. Oh, well, at least that score, but also 350 minimum uh, to, to be competitive. That, that didn't turn out to be the case. Um, the second innings... Um, in survival mode, uh, they were trailing by 275 runs after England piled on the runs of 500, 592. They faced an uphill battle to save and draw the test. They needed help from the weather gods above, and the weather gods helped them out in the end. Um, so at stumps on day three, Australia were four for 113, so in a precarious position, um, obviously, but the weather over day four and day five helped them out a bit there. So due to rain, time was taken out of the game, as we know. But Australia had to bat for 30 overs on day four. 
where we didn't expect play to happen. And the partnership of 103 for the fifth wicket between Mitchell Marsh and Marnus Labuschagne negated that 30-over window to help Australia get over the line in the end. And that was the only play that we had across uh, day four and day five because the weather just took over. And that's what happened. So that's how Australia went about their, their two innings in this test match. Once again, Australia's batting was poor, um, very poor. It was a similar theme and similar story to the series. Batters getting in, getting stanced, didn't convert them into big scores. Poor shot selection, poor decision-making. Uh, Travis Head pulling Stuart Broad in the first innings was one example of a poor shot selection. Getting out to um, getting out to Stuart Broad, who picked up wicket number 600. I think for Stuart Broad, out of the 600 wickets that he's picked up in Test cricket, I think the one to get rid of Travis Head to bring up 600 Test wickets was probably the easiest one he's got out of the 600. It was a poor shot from Travis Head. You know that they're going to bombard you with the short ball, and you hit it straight to the fielder, Joe Root, at fine leg. And it was a very ugly shot. In the second innings, it was an ugly shot to get out to Mark Wood again um, with the short ball, got into a tangle. Steve Smith, another example of a poor shot selection. In the second innings, trying to pull and trying to hook Mark Wood. This time he got an outside edge uh, that went straight to Johnny Bairstrow, uh, straight into the gloves. So just stuff like that. Um, which has been the common theme from Australia, just poor shot selections. And, you know, it's just not good enough. And, and it wasn't good enough again in this, um, in this fourth test. Um, so the same stories again, batting collapses, poor shot selection, poor decision-making, cost Australia again. Um, Manus Labuschagne, let's talk about him. A very good century from Manus, 111. And for Marnus, as we know, he's been at the talking point in this series. He's under pressure because he hasn't scored runs. He hasn't really had the series that we would have hoped from Marnus Labuschagne. But for him to, to grind it out, he found a way. He scored 51 in the first innings, 111 in the second. I think it was probably the best that I've seen Marnus bat in this whole series. He started to get his tempo back. He started to get his rhythm back. And I think for once, he didn't overcomplicate things. I think... The reason that Marnus has been struggling, he's been trying too hard to score runs. And when you're looking to try too hard at something, you tend to make mistakes and you tend to not really do uh, what you need to do properly. And for Marnus, he's been trying too hard to score runs, rather than just keeping things simple, having a clarity of mind and clear of mind, um, and making sure that his mind's clear. Um, but he batted well, hopefully a sign of things to come for Marnus, I thought his innings in the second innings, the partnership he had with Marsh, as I mentioned, was a very key moment for Australia in terms of them trying to negate the 30-over period on day four when they needed to bat out because they did that and then it rained for the rest of the test match on day four and day five and that pretty much helped Australia retain the ashes. Uh, so he batted well. Steve Smith, he's been poor again in this test match. Um, you know, he scored a century at Lords, but since then he's dropped off a bit. Australia need him to step up. He was disappointed. David Warner again in the spotlight. Um, but this time, you know, with, with David Warner, he didn't get out to Stuart Broad. I guess that's a positive. He got out to Chris Wilkes twice in this test match. Um, in the first innings, he got out bowled to... Uh, sorry, he got caught behind 
by Chris Wokes. In the second innings, he got bowled by Chris Wokes. So I think Chris Wokes has um, got David Warner's number. At least Stuart Broad didn't get out David Warner in this test match, which was good for Warner's sake. But uh, yet again, under pressure again. He, he looked okay, Warner. You know, 32 and 28. He had starts. He looked okay. Just can't go on and get that big score. Maybe the last test match for him at the Oval coming up. And if Australia do win at the Oval, I think it's a probably a good send-off for Warner. Um, so we shall wait and see on that. Uh, but he needs to step up, potentially. Has he got one more good innings left in him, David Warner? Um, because Australia need him to step up, because Australia will want to win the series outright now. Mitchell Marsh. What can we say about Mitchell Marsh? I thought he was fantastic again. 48. Uh, sorry, uh, 51 he scored in the first inning, sorry, my mistake, and 31 not out in the second innings. Um, an important partnership with Labashane, obviously, as I mentioned before. He's been good. He's been better than Cameron Green. I think coming into the test match, we had that debate about who's going to be the all-rounder. I think now, for Australia going into the last test, I think it's Mitchell Marsh. Cameron Green looks out of sorts, but Marsh has, has batted really well. Um... The other batters, uh, Alex Carey, um, he made 20. He, he batted okay, but he could have done better. Usman Kawaja didn't have a great game himself. Got out for 3-18, and 18, given what's um, happened before in the series for Kawaja. Um, and Cameron Green, as I mentioned, looked a little bit out of sorts coming back from that hamstring strain. Um, you know, he, he's just not looking comfortable at the moment, Cameron Green. So... Um, He'll be disappointed with, with how he performed with the bat um, in this uh, test match. Um, the Talenders from Australia, again, didn't really contribute. The only one who did was Mitchell Stark. Cummins and Hazelwood didn't really contribute that much. Um, so I suppose the extra batting was a little bit justified with Australia. Uh, but there's still a lot of work to do for the Australian batters going forward into the test match at the Oval. Um, they they got to... Got to have a bit more positive intent, look to score, look to put pressure back on the England bowlers, look to do the basics properly and, and, and um, you know, be better in their decision-making and their shot selection and stop these batting collapses. And Australia need to really tighten things up come the final test match at the Herbal. So their batting in this test match was poor again, as it has been uh, for the last few test matches of this series. They've got to fix up these problems. They've got to stop making the same mistakes. We shall see if they um, do learn the lessons in the last test at the Oval with the bat. Let's talk about Australia's bowlers and their performance in this fourth Ashes test and how they went about things with the ball. Uh, no wickets for Labashane and Mitchell Marsh. Two wickets each for Green and Stark. A wicket for Cummins and five wickets for Hazelwood. That's how the Australian bowlers performed in this um, fourth Ashes test from Old Trafford. Um, let's talk about their bowling performance in England's uh, first innings. And uh, defending 317 of the first innings was always going to be tough for Australia to put, Australia, uh, to put England under pressure. Um, in the end, they conceded 592 from England, and they conceded a lead of 275 runs on the first innings. And that pretty much summed up the story for England in this test match that were very dominant, but it also summed up Australia's performance in this test match, and they were very poor, especially with the ball, and and that was to, to be the case. Um, 
Australia's bowling in this test match was very poor. It was probably the worst I've seen Australia bowl ever in my time of watching this current group. It was probably the worst performance. I think many people would agree with that. With the bowling attack of Hazelwood, Cummins and Stark, you would say it's their worst performance as a bowling group collectively. And as individuals, it was probably the same as well. And even for Pat Cummins, it was probably the day from hell for Pat Cummins. Yeah, it was nothing much to say to it, really. I can't really add much. It was pretty poor. Um, didn't handle the pressure well of Basball. They chopped and changed their plans and tactics throughout the innings. They overdid the short ball too much. They didn't... Um, get the tactics right. And um, that's why they conceded so many runs and they did. And I think for the first time in the series, Australia didn't have any answers. They just ran out of answers. They said, oh, what do we do now? You know, everyone was scratching their heads, including Pat Cummins. He was scratching his head. He couldn't figure out uh, what to do. Where are we going to take our next wicket? You know, it, it looked like that Australia just... Uh, were absolutely pummeled, and they couldn't do anything about it. Um, and, and a lot of people have questioned Pat Cummins in terms of his tactics and the captaincy and say he should be sacked and and that. Um, obviously, it wasn't a great test match from Pat. It was probably his worst test match he's had in his career. You don't say that every day about Pat Cummins because he's such a very good player. He's a good bowler. He gets the job done. But as captain, with the extra responsibility you are going to get this scrutiny. And I think for Pat, look, he's trying his best, you know. You can see he's trying. It's not the first time that England's done this to any team. They did it to South Africa. They did it to Pakistan. They did it to New Zealand. They even did it to India. All those captains have had a tough time of it against England. How do they work out to take wickets? And uh, for Pat Cummins, he looked a little bit flustered. He looked a bit, little bit unsure about where to where to go next in terms of the tactics and the plans um obviously pat cummins has that ability to be calm on the outside he doesn't really show his emotions i guess he didn't show his frustrations from a physical point of view outside of his um body uh, but on the inside he would have been disappointed and you could tell from the tone of his voice afterwards um in the press conference he was a little bit disappointed about his own performance and he would be um, but I think it's just an overreaction I think you know cricket fans sporting fans when things don't quite go right for your team people would say oh you got to sack this player you got to drop him you got to sack Pat Cummins as captain he's no good um, you know this guy will be better um, and look at the end of the day everyone's entitled to have a bad day Pat Cummins had a really bad day the Australian team had a bad day. That's the way cricket is. That's the way sport is. You have good and bad days. And this was a bad day. But it's important to learn from these bad days. So they don't happen again. Learn the mistakes. Learn the areas that we need to get better at. And Australia need to get better at the tactics. And I don't know if people have made that point about Pat Cummins. That he's not good as a tactician. But we've got Steve Smith in the side. Australia have got Steve Smith in the side. He's a good tactician because he thinks like a batter. So I guess many people have made those arguments about Pat Cummins. You know, the tactical side, is he good enough to be a leader? 
look, he'll be captain of Australia. I don't see him stepping down. He'll make that decision himself. And even Pat Cummins said, when he was appointed as captain, he said, this is not going to be a long-term thing. I don't see myself being captain for five-plus years or anything like that. Um, it's a short-term thing. And then whoever's the next captain, you know, hopefully they'll have the experience and they can take over the team. And I think that will happen in the end. I think many people would would expect that to happen, that Cummins will have a succession plan. But for the time being, he's captain. And the, the tone has, has changed. Obviously, everyone was praising Pat Cummins because he won us the game at Edge Bastion. Without Pat Cummins, Australia not winning that game. You know, and, and Australia would have been 2 0 down in this series if that didn't happen. So people were praising Cummins and said he was the, the, the greatest player of them all. And, you know, he batted well. And then obviously, what happened here at Old Trafford, people have said he should be sacked. So I think it comes back to that reactive mind that we react to things that don't go right and, and we should overreact and say he should be sacked and all this stuff. At the end of the day, that's just the way cricket is. England had a good day, Australia had a bad day. But I think for Australia, they need to change the tactics a little bit. You know, and, and I think for Australia, the problem is that they've been too too safe. You know, as soon as England hit a few boundaries, they push the field back. And that allows England to pick up easy singles, which throughout this series, when I've been watching how Australia have been going about things in the field, I just shake my head and say... You can't do that. You've you got to have fielders in attacking positions. You've got to have catchers. It's okay to have a few boundary riders, but not everyone out. Because it just makes it too easy. You want to put pressure on the batter. And sometimes it feels like that Australia don't want to take a wicket. They just want to save runs. The priority and the goal of a fielding side is to take 10 wickets. How are we going to take 10 wickets? That should be the priority. Not about saving runs. That comes into it, but that shouldn't be the main priority. Because you're not looking to take a wicket. You just want to save runs and limit the losses and limit the damage. That's what England did. Uh, sorry, that's what Australia did in this test match. And that's what they've done throughout the whole series. You know, they've had a bit of luck because England have gifted them some wickets. Um, but for Australia, they need to be a bit more taking a risk be willing to be driven for runs, but in order to take wickets. So I want to see that from Australia. You know, it's okay if Sack Crawley hits you for a, through a few boundaries through the covers. But if you're building pressure on him and having the right fields, you can get a wicket. And, and that's why people lost their rag. And that's why many Australian fans are frustrated at Cummins' tactics because of these reasons. Um, but he's entitled to have a bad day, Pat Cummins. And he'll bounce back from this, hopefully. And he knows that he didn't do well. He will learn. He's a quick learner. You know, he'll learn from this. He'll reflect on it. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think he'll be sacked. I don't think he will resign anytime soon. He will be the captain. The team have his backing. I guess Cricket Australia have his backing as well. That to be the captain, obviously. But, um, you know, as I go back to, to it before, people will react to these things differently. Um, but that's just the way it is. That's just the way sport is. You don't have anything go your way. A lot of things don't go your way in cricket. You, you plan and you do things and they don't quite go your way. 
And that's what happened with Pat Cummins in this test match. So I would like to see Australia just change the tactics a little bit. I thought Australia bowled well to the tailenders. You know, Australia haven't bowled well to England's tailenders in this series, but you know, Wokes, Wood, and Broad in particular, they didn't make much of a contribution, didn't they? Because Australia bowled well to them. They bowled proper lines and lengths to the tailenders. And, um, you know, they were rewarded with wickets. So I thought that was a positive, at least from Australia's bowling performance. There weren't too many positives. Josh Hazelwood took five wickets and he, you know, has had a tough series. So that's good for him. Hopefully he can be, you know, gain that confidence going into the last test. Um, and, and obviously a lot of people have questioned about not selecting Todd Murphy, specialist spinner. I don't think it would have made any difference if Todd Murphy played in this test. I know it was a bit of a conservative selection because Australia didn't want to lose the test match. They wanted to strengthen the batting. They wanted to have Green and Marsh, two extra all-rounders. But um, in saying that, um, I think Murphy would have got smashed anyway, in hindsight. Uh, but there's plenty to work on for the Australian bowlers going forward. Um, change the tactics. Um, look to take wickets. And don't be conservative too early. There's always a point... If you feel like I need to have a few fielders back, then put a few, a few field, uh, fielders back uh, because you can have that balance as a captain. Okay, look to attack, take wickets, have attacking fields. If the runs get a little bit too out of hand, I can put some fielders back, but still have some fielders in attacking positions and look to take wickets. I think Australia at times have gone to that ploy of being conservative too early. And that's why England have been batting the way they have because it's just too easy for them. So Australia need to make it hard for England to score runs. And in England, they will be impatient. We've seen that from England. They want to score quickly. They want to impose themselves with this mentality of baseball. But if you make them earn their runs and put them under pressure, it's going to play on their patience and they'll probably get out. So I think for Australia, change the tactics. I think that's why everyone's frustrated, especially Australian fans. But um, to finish up about Australia's bowling, plenty of work to do. They're a good bowling attack. They had a bad test. Cummins had a bad game as captain and as a bowler. But there's an opportunity to bounce back. And that's the thing in cricket, to have that positive mindset. So yeah, we had a bad game, but we can bounce back in the next game. And hopefully they do. And hopefully for Australia's sake, they can wrap up the series and win the series in England, uh, which they didn't do in 2019. We shall see what happens um, on that front with the Australian bowlers. Can they learn from their mistakes? Can they get better? Let's see what they do at the Oval. Let's preview the fifth Ashes test from the Oval. Let's have a look at the test stats between England and Australia at the Oval. Let's predict the playing 11s for both England and Australia for the fifth Ashes test from the Oval. Um, Let's have a look at the uh, the test stats, first of all, between England and Australia. Head-to-head -head record at the Oval in test matches. The first test match that England and Australia played at the Oval was back in 1880. And uh, 38 matches have been played between the two countries here at the Oval. 14 of them have been drawn. England have won 17 to Australia's 7. So they lead the head-to-head -head by quite a long way, England. Um, and it is... A very historical ground, the Oval, especially when it comes to Ashes cricket. It's witnessed many great moments. 
between England and Australia over the years. Um, obviously, um, let's talk about both teams and, and their 11s for this last test match of the series. We'll start with England, first of all. Concerns with injury. Chris Wokes could be under an injury cloud. Uh, James Anderson hasn't had the impact with the ball in this series. He had another poor test at Old Trafford's home ground. Mark Wood, does he play three test matches in a row, given his track record with injuries? Stuart Broad has played four tests in a row. Um, I think England will want Wokes, Wood and Broad to play because they've made an impact with the ball. Barring injury, they should play um, because England want them to play because they've been the best bowlers for England in this series by quite a mile. So you would think, barring any injury or any concerns with their bodies, um, they should play. I think England will probably make one change, and I think that's for James Anderson. I know, you know, Anderson hasn't had the series that we would have hoped from him, and especially England would have hoped a lot better from Anderson in this series. Um, obviously, maybe it's age catching up with him towards the end of his career. He's nearly 41. Uh, he, he could come out, and I think England may play jo Josh Tung. He's got that extra pace, or they may play Ollie Robinson because he missed out because of a back spasm. So we'll have to wait and see on that for England. But their potential living for this for, uh, for this fifth Ashes test here at the Oval could be Crawley, Duckett, Alley, Root, uh, Brook, Stokes, Bairstrow, Wilkes, Wood, Broad, Robinson, or Tung. Um, let's talk about Australia's potential 11 for the fifth Ashes test. A couple of uh, question marks for Australia in terms of selection. Uh, will they make a change? I think they will. they make a change or two, maybe. Um, obviously, Mitchell Marsh, Cameron Green, the all-rounder debate, uh, which was a safe selection for the fourth test given the weather here at Old Trafford. Didn't play Murphy, a specialist spinner. I think Todd Murphy will come back. You've got to play a spinner at the Oval. And I think Australia will admit personally to themselves they won't admit it to the public but to themselves that we probably made a mistake um which everyone has been saying so i think murphy will play you can't drop mitchell marsh because he's done well in the last couple of test matches so i think the uh, the one who gets dropped i think it's cameron green I, I i don't think it will hurt cameron green to get dropped um obviously in his test career he hasn't got dropped um, he's missed out a few test matches. He missed out the last test at Headingley because of a hamstring injury. He missed out a few test matches in India because of a thumb uh, finger injury that he picked up in the in the last Australian summer. Um, so he hasn't been dropped, Cameron Green, but he hasn't looked at himself in this series. He's looked a bit scratchy with the bat. He's taken a few wickets with the ball. He's taken some good catches in the gully. But I feel like it, it wouldn't do any harm to Cameron Green if he gets dropped. So I think he'll get dropped. I think Todd Murphy would come in for him. Australia have also got some other concerns with Mitchell Stark with his shoulder injury. Um, Pat Cummins as well. Does he need a rest? Uh, does Michael Nissa come in? Does Scott Boland come in? Um, so I, I, I would think Australia would like to keep the same attack that they had here at Old Trafford. But if it, it will depend... If starts injury with his shoulder, does he pull up okay? Then he plays. If he doesn't, then you either consider bowling. Maybe Nessa to strengthen the batting a bit because he is a good batter, Nessa. Um, so these are the things that Australia will, will have to consider. But um, in saying that, I, I, I think 
they'll, they'll probably make a change, and, and that's probably Todd Murphy. Uh, on the other hand, they'll they'll probably keep David Warner. They won't drop him given his uh, form of late, and obviously him being in the talking point in the media. Um, obviously, they won't drop him now. He'll play the last test. It could be his last test match. We don't know. Depends on the result, probably. If Australia win the Ashes, win the series, I should say, they've already won the Ashes, but if they win the series here, then you'll think David Warner would, would play his last test. Uh, depends on the result, on the outcome of this uh, test match. Um, so Australia's potential 11 for the um, fifth Ashes test of the Oval could be Warner, Kawaja, Labashane, Smith, Head, Mitchell Marsh, Carey Stark, Cummins, Murphy, and Hazelwood. Now, who's going to win this uh, final test match at the Oval? Well, the last time that England and Australia played at the Oval, England won by 135 runs in 2019, uh, which enabled England to draw the series. England find themselves in a similar position in this series in 2023. Plenty to play for in this test match, even though the Ashes are not up for grabs. Australia retained the urn. Plenty for both teams to play for. Australia can definitely win the series. And they will want to win the series. Because if they win the series, it feels like that the 2-0 lead that they had is validated. And that the draw at Old Trafford was validated as well. Um, and obviously if they win the series, then it's a success. it's pretty much a success. If they lose the series, if they draw the series 2-2, then it's a failure. So for Australia, they, they will want to win the series for the first time in England since 2001. Um, England will want to draw the series <clears throat> like they did in 2019. Um, but with England, I, I think the advantage that Australia may have is that if England come to the Oval and they look a little bit flat, subconsciously they know that we want to play positively, this brand of creep with Basball, but knowing that we can't win the Ashes... Maybe they will be a little bit flat, maybe just a little bit off their game. That could work in Australia's favour. But what I saw at um, at Old Trafford, if Australia play the way they play here at the Oval like they did at Old Trafford, then I think England will win the Test match quite easily. Um, so Australia need to come into this last Test match with a positive mindset, look to win, uh, not be conservative, don't look to draw and be safe. Also change the tactics with the ball. Hopefully the bowlers will learn their lesson. Uh, with England, they'll be hoping to, to draw the series and finish up on a good note. So I think, you know, it, it could go either way again. You would think the way that England played in the last test, they should win this last test here at the Oval. But, you know, with the Ashes not on the line anymore... It could be a different story. So it could go either way. Either Australia win, England win. Uh, we, we shall see. But let's hope for a good test match. The Oval has witnessed many great historical moments in Ashes cricket. 1882 for that one-off test that really kicks out of the Ashes legend. Don Bradman, 1948, getting out for a duck here in his final innings. Uh, Steve Waugh scoring a century in 2001 uh, with a calf injury that pretty much... Um, you know, it just epit epitomizes who Steve Waugh was, that tough sort of gritty cricketer. Also, Sir Leonard Hutton, one of England's finest opening batsmen, scoring 364 in 1938, which was the highest ever individual test score at the time in test cricket. Did that at an Ashes test against Australia, where he batted for 13 hours. 
Um, so it has witnessed many great moments in Ashes Cricket, the Oval. And hopefully we, we get another t exciting test match. Um, in the context of the series, yes, the Ashes may not be up for grabs anymore because Australia's retained them, but let's hope for another exciting test match, as we've seen throughout the first three test matches of the series. Uh, let's hope we get that at the Oval. But we shall see what happens um, at the Oval for the fifth and final test of the series. Now, to finish off our uh, review of the fourth Ashes test from Old Trafford, for this episode of the Dibbly Dobbly podcast today, um, let's talk about um, my final thoughts, how I saw the test match overall. Um, it was probably the most one-sided test match of the series, given how England dominated over the three days. A lot of people said they should have won, and they were on track to win, but it was the weather at the end of the day that cost them. Um, Australia would be disappointed. It was the worst performance that Australia's had in the series. Um, but hopefully for them, they can turn things around at the Oval and win the series. Um, obviously, it's not ideal that the weather had a part to play in this test. That happens. Cricket's an outdoor game. It's open to the elements. This is going to happen. And we all know that. You know, For many of us who've watched and loved cricket all our lives... We know that these things are going to happen. Many test matches are decided by the weather. And sometimes it's a draw. And I know a lot of people are not happy about that and frustrated. They've offered some ideas to help improve these things. But whether or not they're realistic or not is another thing. Um, yeah, disappointed. The series was shaping up to be a great series. It would have been nice for a decider. That, that hasn't happened but let's hope for a great last test match of the Oval and see what happens. Um, we shall wait wait and see. Um, and hopefully it will be a fantastic finish to what has been a great series up until the last test at Old Trafford where the weather played spoil of sport. Well, thanks everyone for listening to our fourth Ashes test review of the uh, fourth test match from Old Trafford. Thanks everyone for listening yet again. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Um, before we go, um, stay tuned for, for more Ashes episodes, live streams from this Ashes series as we come to towards the end of this Ashes series. It's been a long, arduous Ashes series. It's been intense, it's been draining, it's been exciting. We've seen moments that will forever be in our memories uh, for a long time to come. Um, so, so do stay tuned for that. More episodes coming out on the podcast on the Ashes. Um, if you're listening to this episode of the podcast on our YouTube channel, um, let us know your thoughts on the fourth Ashes test in the comments. Uh, we would love to hear what you have to say, your thoughts about this fourth test. How would you rate both teams' performances, etc., etc.? Um, so please do that. Uh, it's always great to hear everyone's ideas and thoughts. Um, on the game of cricket, and especially during this Ashes series. Thanks everyone for listening. Until next time, keep safe and bye for now.